Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is David Parker. He is an economist and author. His latest book is called Income and Wealth. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, David. Thank you. Glad Just give us a brief uh, history of your, uh, you know, h- how you've come to where you are today, your, your, a little bit of your background. Well, I've been a public school teacher my whole life, and I realized right off the bat that uh, income and wealth are two separate matters. And uh, someone, I taught school very young, and uh, one of my professors as a student was now my colleague, he says, David, first thing you do is buy a house. I don't care, save your money and buy a house. That's an order. And I did that and I realized I had some sense for real estate. And uh, so I became, uh, well, very, very successful in real estate. And I stopped teaching full time because I couldn't afford it. And uh, and I realized, that's my big realization that uh, that making money, you could be an artist, you could open up a restaurant, none of these things will make any money at all, perhaps. It's not important. You should do what you want in life because making money or acquiring wealth is a completely different skill. And that's one of my main messages in my book, uh, Income and Wealth. Um, so let's describe that, David. So let's talk right, go right to that. What is the skill that one needs to be able to generate wealth? Almost no skill at all. I'm a professional investor, so I can't tell someone else how to be a professional investor. I have hours and hours of time and thought. But I give an example to show the opposite. In my book, I give an example of an employee on minimum wage at McDonald's. And I go into enormous detail of uh, all the 401ks, everything that McDonald's offers to their employees, health insurance, and what the tax benefits are of owning um, real estate, for example, and I'm saying that uh, one should purchase with leverage income-producing assets. I know about real estate, but someone else may know about stock. Someone may know about running a business, buy four trucks and start delivering anything that produces income. Every year, you take half your salary, your gross salary. It's easier when you're young. And in an expensive city where I am in San Francisco, maybe you need to take a group with a partner because you just can't buy a house by yourself or two partners even. Every year, half your salary and purchase an income-producing asset. And at the end of 10 years, just relentlessly, you will be financially independent. And that's my message. Once you're financially independent, you don't care if you're making money being an artist, being a musician or opening a restaurant. You're doing what you want to do in life and your income is completely separate matter. I mean, your wealth is completely a separate matter. You talk in the beginning of your book about the difference between the McDonald's worker and Andrew Carnegie, who came to America in the mid-1840s with pretty much nothing and then became one of the wealthiest people in the, in the, the country. What was it that he did that we can learn from uh, to become wealthy ourselves? Well, he was uh, maybe one of the most brilliant um, um, people in the world. He became one of the wealthiest people in the world by the age of 33. And he, at 18, he came here, whatever it was, living in a one-room apartment with, uh, with a family or two. He knows exactly how poor people live. And he says, just start at the bottom, but don't stay there. Learn every single step of the way. If you really want to make wealth, don't go to college. You're wasting your time. Start making, start thinking about making wealth because you're going to make it very quickly. Then you have a lifetime ahead of you for study. And uh, I know he's an inspiration to me because he un- he understood. You know, he his wealth from steel mills didn't come from, you know, being a monopolist from from having a low, low price and cutting out his competition. The steel mills on the railroads, that they were like an interlocking directorate. 
they they helped each other. They were it was kind of corrupt in that sense. And they Carnegie's message was don't stop the factory. Even during a panic, during a depression, keep 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 it coming because you all your competition are gonna start dropping off and you're gonna pick up all their all their clients and pretty soon you'll be the only one left standing. Don't stop. And he uh, and he did that. And his workers were very uh, loyal to him. And uh, he was the only union shop until he was the, until he was the only union shop. And uh, and then the union forced him to to remain in the union shop. He says nobody else is. I can't. So I'm gonna cancel the union, and I'm gonna have Pinkertons, and I'm going to open this factory, and I'm going to be a different person until you can uh, organize every union, until you can organize every steel mill in this country and make them a union or get the Congress to pass a law forbidding more than eight-hour day work week. Until you do that, your union is too weak, and I'm just going to stay open 12 hours a day. I mean, workers are going to work 12 hours a day, and... Uh, and I'm going to stay open by force. And then he bought up every steel mill. Pretty soon it was his. And he became the richest man, not only of his time, he's actually the richest man probably even today, richer than Bezos, richer than Musk. The richest yep. man in the world. But by what the time can we he's learn? 33. I'm just saying, what can we learn? That most, most people are not going to become monopolists and break unions and buy the entire steel business. I'm trying to get lessons from what Carnegie his method that can be applied to people today. But his income-producing asset was steel mills. He just kept buying and buying steel mills. One, one, you can say one a year. I'm saying for a person who's uh, starting off, a young person is easier live a little bit of a Spartan lifestyle and purchase an asset, income-producing asset, every year. Ten years, ten, you should own ten homes. And you have to do it with a partner because it's so expensive in certain cities. At the end of 10 years, you, with depreciation, you uh, have more and more write-offs on your salary. You can buy more and more expensive stuff. But by 10 years, you'll be financially independent. And my book shows in detail how, how, how those numbers play out. So what would be the lesson, particularly from the last year or so, where we've had the pandemic, and where, uh, as you said, to keep things running well, a lot of businesses failed in the last two years or so because uh, they didn't have customers. Uh, the big companies got even bigger. And in real estate, tons and tons of landlords had real trouble because their tenants were not paying their rent. They thought they had income-producing property, but it didn't turn out that way. What would you learn particularly from the last year and a half during the pandemic? Just keep buying because that pandemic is a natural catastrophe. And the natural catastrophe could have been an earthquake. It could have been this whole city burnt down. It could have been a hurricane. Natural catastrophes are a regular feature of life. Add to that economic downturns. Uh, 2008 financial crisis and the SNL crisis in 1990 and the dot-com bust in 2000. Regular natural catastrophes and economic downturns are a regular feature of the economy. You can just, and they bounce back. When they bounce back, they bounce back stronger. Just keep buying. Forget about it. And so a lot of landlords couldn't make it through. They weren't getting their rents. There was this moratorium on uh, evictions. And, you know, they've been yes. having a very hard time holding on. So what advice would you give people? You keep buying an asset that's not producing yeah. current income. That doesn't seem like a, a great strategy. No, you got to keep. One, you keep buying, and, you keep, and then that is probably one of the big lessons in business. All, all recessions are a function of a overextension of credit. And then every time there's a bust, everybody's in that position. And some of the biggest players go down during every natural catastrophe or every, or every recession because they don't have enough money to hold on. That's probably the biggest reason after yeah, they can't hold on. And so that should be a lesson that anyone in business, you should have a year worth of uh, backup capital. That's all you needed for the, for the COVID, is a year worth of backup capital. Because uh, I lost, uh, yeah, I had vacancies all over the place. 
Yeah. And uh, but I just kept one. The interest rates are very low. They probably even dropped. They even dropped more during the COVID. That helps. And uh, some of the banks were give, were were giving payment plans. It wasn't it wasn't completely the end of the world if you uh, if you focused on it. Be be properly capitalized. You're saying yes. Yeah, properly capitalized, and then use and then the, some businesses were able to get money from the government. And uh, some of my tenants are now a year and a half later are starting to pay me in, in chunks of money. I got a check for twenty three thousand dollars from one studio apartment <laughs> tenant. Just here, finally got some money. Very so, good. All right. We have to take a break, David. We're going to take a little break here. Uh, This is uh, Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is David Parker. His latest book is called Income and Wealth. You can find out more about his work and his book at davidparkeressays.com. We'll be back after this. Wish you were in on some of the early best-performing IPOs of the last few years. Our crowd investors were. And now you can join them in What's Next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies going IPO, such as Beyond Meat, or being bought out by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Our crowd's investment professionals leverage their extensive network to review some of the most promising private companies and startups in the world. Their in-depth due diligence includes meeting with management teams and generally comprehensive vetting of deals they decide to make part of their own portfolio. Since our crowd has selected a deal, they offer accredited investors the opportunity to invest alongside them with the same terms. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers and review the current deals. No payment is involved until you decide to participate in a deal. As you review deals, you have access to our crowd's investor relations team, who you can talk to directly on the phone about your personal investment goals. The investment professionals at our crowd have already reviewed thousands of companies, invested hundreds of millions of dollars, closed investments in over 200 companies, chosen dozens of companies that have made exits, Accredited investors can participate in a single company deal for as little as $10,000 or one of our crowd's funds for as little as $50,000. Now you can invest in Boat Setter, the largest and only insurance-backed boat rental marketplace that connects owners, renters, and licensed captains. Boat Setter has grown revenue over 100% year over year. With 12 million private boat owners in the U.S., More growth will be on the horizon. Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies. Join the fastest-growing venture capital investment community out there at ourcrowd.com slash answers. What do you spend on subscriptions every month? Most of us spend about $80 a month and some as much as $200 or more. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people are saving thousands of dollars a year with Truebill. See all your subscriptions in one place, keep the ones you want, cancel the ones you don't, right from the app. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. No talking to humans, no difficult conversations. Several people have saved tons of money using Truebill. One saved $120 a year on their Sirius XM bill. Another one, $840 a year on car insurance they didn't need anymore. Overall, Truebill has saved over 2 million users, over $100 million. Start canceling your unused subscriptions at Truebill.com slash moneyanswers. Go right now to Truebill.com slash moneyanswers it could save you thousands of dollars a year. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. 
But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is David Parker. He is an economist and writer. His latest book is called Income and Wealth. You can find out more about him and his work at davidparkeressays.com. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you. So you have many misconceptions about economics that you want to clear up. Uh, one of the very first ones uh, is about inequality of income. So this is a huge topic today, and everybody's saying that income is uh, in a, in unequal, and it's getting more unequal, and we should do all kinds of things to get the money from the rich and give it to the poor. What are the misconceptions about inequality of income? Inequality of income is... Um completely irrelevant. It's nobody's business. People make real decisions in their life because people are so different. Some parents want to be home when their kids come home from school and to take their kids on vacations and and give them a very rich childhood. If you're doing that, you're not working 12 hours a day, six days a week. And so your kids, maybe you're not going to go to a private school. They're not going to have a that little upward leg later on, but they're going to have a rich childhood. So a parent makes that that choice. Their income may be quite quite a bit less than somebody else's. Um, now, I, what people are saying about this is that the, the deck is stacked against them, that if they come from a rich background, that their chances of getting rich and doing well all the way along, their education, uh, contacts is giving them an unequal share and that this should be leveled out so everybody should have an equal opportunity and the, the rich should not have more of an opportunity than others. What, what do you say to that? It's just, it, it's nobody's business. The public schools used to be really good in America in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. A very poor person could go and get a, a fine education. Today, the public schools are... Um, the standards have dropped so low that if you're going to a public school, you almost don't have a chance. I was a public school teacher, and I taught the same class for 40 years, the same grade level. And I will testify that I, at the end of my teaching career, I taught half, literally half uh, that the students had to learn. And down the line, all teachers will say that. So t- students coming from a public school education don't have – Really so why, did you that. drop your standards? Why did you teach half? One half, one half, because uh, there was so much pressure from uh, to not flunk students, or, um, to handle discipline in your classroom, not send students out. That teachers just uh, not that well paid. They just too much pressure. The standards, standards were lowered. You're saying standards are really lowered, academic and behavioral standards. And what has been the impact on society of those lowering of standards? We have a workforce that's not educated. 
we can't import enough people from abroad to fill up the spaces. I mean, the area here, Silicon Valley, is screaming that, the, that they open up immigration because they can't get employees. The, uh, yeah, our, our, nation, our nation is going to uh, feel the presence of uh, nations that are really serious, like China. And even European education, the classical education is much, much higher than, than the, the American uh, high school education. You, you also talk about socialism, saying it's not a justifiable ideal. Now, there have been recent polls showing that socialism is gaining, and people think it's a much better way to do things than capitalism, because capitalism is so unfair and so distorted, and socialism evens things out nicely, including a lot of younger people who are well-educated. They think socialism is a pretty good idea. Bernie Sanders had a very strong following. What is, what's yeah. going on here? Because Americans haven't lived in a socialist country, so it sounds it has some attraction. Socialism always has attraction. Go ask uh, a Russian if he thinks we should bring back communism, you're not going to get a favorable response. Bernie Sanders says that, uh, why don't we just model ourselves after Denmark? They, they're kind of a free country, and they have private property, and, but they take care of all the social needs of their country. And Denmark waves their finger at Bernie Sanders and says, no, no, we're canceling all of that kind of stuff. That was a huge mistake. Sweden did the same thing. They went back and forth between socialism and no socialism. Um, you can't, because one, profit doesn't exist. That's one of, my, one of my economic lessons. High, high salary, that's entrepreneurial compensation, and it's only for a short period of time. Um, in a competitive economy, firms keep cutting their costs to compete, and at the end, there's no profit. It's all um, just um, high entrepreneurial compensation if you're making a lot. And you can't tax the rich. They won't pay. You can't tax the poor. They can't pay everything that society wants. If we ask them government to provide, it's being paid for by honest working middle-class people. The rich may even want to pay. Maybe they inherited some money and they have a big heart and they would like to help the less fortunate. Their accountants won't let them. It just doesn't happen. You can't get money from the rich. So right now, uh, before the Congress, is a $3.5 trillion, uh, they call it social infrastructure bill, which would dramatically raise taxes on high-income individuals and corporations and spend it on a whole bunch of social programs, whether it be pre-K education, community college, climate change. I could go through the whole long list of things. Uh, the Republicans are calling that a socialistic kind of a legislation, and uh, President Biden sees himself as the new FDR and LBJ with the Great Society combined. What would happen if that, in fact, does pass and, and is implemented? It's gonna, what will happen is what always happens. LBJ did the war on poverty. In fact, he did that during the Vietnam War when we were spending a lot of money and even in a, had a deficit budget to pay for that war. He says it was unconscionable that a nation as rich as we were to have a 15% poverty rate. I don't care. We are going to end poverty once and for all. Unconditional war on poverty. That was his words. The needle that showed 15% has budged one inch. That poverty rate remained 15% um, and it, from that day until today, and that's U.S. Uh, Bureau of Census figures, 1958 to um, 2013 or something like that, or 15, I have the statistics. And why did that not work? It hasn't changed. Why did the war on poverty not work? You can't do for others what they have to do for themselves. Because the problems, money is not the problem. Overheard in a Brooklyn barbershop by one of my jazz musicians, I spent half my time with my jazz group, and we're a, kind of a major uh, jazz band, um, says he was sitting in a Brooklyn barbershop and they were talking about government should do this and that and spend money and raise taxes. And one guy stood up and says, if you can solve a problem by spending money, you don't have a problem. If this nation has more money than knows what to do with, and 
Problems are deeper. They're individual. They're personal. Students not studying, graduating, knowing nothing. That's a problem. We double the money from 1970 to 2000 for per child per education. That was part of the war on poverty education, elementary secondary education act. Double the money and it's continuing to grow. $200 billion a year increasing. Test scores went the opposite direction and have not reversed themselves. It's like a I even show the graph that it's so clear that one arrow is going up for money, the other arrow is going down <laughs> for spending over time. I yeah. mean, for test, test scores going down, you can't, you can't solve problems with money. You can't, keep, can't get money from the rich. Profit doesn't really exist in a competitive economy, and you can't, and you can't solve problems with money. All right. So We're going to take a break. It's all a waste. It's all a waste. We're going to take another break, David. Uh, my, my guest this hour is David Parker. His new book is called Income and Wealth. You can find out more about it at his website, davidparkeressays.com. We'll be back after this. How has your 401k been performing? Does it seem like it could be better? Confused about what you're investing in? Does having your entire portfolio tied up in stocks and mutual funds cause uneasiness or make you feel like you don't have control over your financial future, especially in turbulent times? Do you fear missing out? You're on hot asset classes such as cryptocurrencies, real estate, or gold, but don't have the cash on hand to invest? Do you wish there were more options for diversification in your portfolio? Does your traditional IRA company only offer public investments like stocks and mutual funds? Well, Equity Trust Company offers administrative and custodial services for tax-advantaged retirement accounts and investor tools that allow you to easily diversify into alternative investments in the private market. Not many people know that you have the power to take control of your financial future by investing your retirement account in areas that you're excited and passionate about such as cryptocurrencies, real estate fix and flips, gold, and nearly other, many other private market opportunities. From a returns perspective, the numbers don't lie. Historically, alternative assets have resulted in better returns than public market investments by wide margins. The secret to unlocking investment freedom is opening a self-directed account with a company that will allow you these investments and knows how to handle them. Equity Trust Company, was named the best overall self-directed IRA company for 2021 by Investopedia. Equity Trust helps you unleash your potential as an investor with knowledgeable reps and technology to make this new experience easy. Unleash your investing potential with Equity Trust. Learn more at www.investorrununleashed.com slash Jordan to get started. That's again, that's www.investorunleashed.com slash Jordan, so you can diversify your IRA into many alternative assets. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now, toll free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is David Parker. He is the author of a book called Income and Wealth. Quite a provocative ideas in, in there. You can find out more at his website, David Parker Essays. Dot com. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you. So you talk in your book about the Asian tigers. Uh, this is Japan and Hong Kong, Taiwan, Singapore, and South Korea, and how successful they've been um, and what the secret to that success is, particularly compared to what the U.S. has done since World War II. What is the secret of their success, and what can we learn from that? Everyone thinks the Asian tigers got a lot of backing from government. And that's why they're successful, that they stole patents from the United States, and it's just one big corrupt thing. Opposite is the truth. Uh, Every industry that the government backed failed. All the private stuff that they didn't back is what made those economies flourish. The electronics, the auto industry, the government wasn't touching any of that, and that's what Japan and, and China today are known for in, in South Korea. I'm saying that uh, as a classical liberal, I don't see any reason for government. I can make some reasons, but we want a neutral third party. Otherwise, government should stay out of the uh, uh, economy. Everything government chooses, like Barack Obama chose Solyndra, everybody told him the company's going to fail. He pumped five five. I don't know how many billion into it, and in a few months it failed. Why don't you take an even more dramatic example in Asia, which is China, where the government pretty much controls things, but it's been flourishing. Uh, Their people have grown out of poverty. Uh, They've got many, many successful companies. Uh, That's the ultimate in government control, and they seem to have done quite well. What's wrong with the Chinese model? It's not the ultimate in government control. The Chinese, um, the guy, the president of China now, Z is a very dangerous person. He is really a Marxist. Karl Marx says you can't just jump from an agricultural society into a highly industrialized society. There's a transition. You have to you have to actually do some capitalism. You have to build up some wealth. It's like cleaning up the environment. Poor nations can't clean the environment. Only rich nations can clean the environment. You have to you have to gain some wealth. So. The, Deng Xiaoping followed the model of South Korea, uh, Yuan Li, I forget his name. He says, you have to give the people some economic freedom. Let them, let them run businesses and get the country going. In China, they got the country going, and now they're saying, okay, now we're going to clamp down on it. Now we're going to step in all over the place. We're going to stop Alibaba and all those guys, and we're going to take over. Um, we, we couldn't do it ourselves. We needed them to do it. But now that they've done it, we're going to step in. You're not going to recognize China. You're not going to recognize Hong Kong and Taiwan. It's the start of World War III. So what is the future for the Chinese economy then if the government's going to step in much more aggressively? In, in, in our, normally, it should start uh, failing. That all... The, Free or dynamic economies have one problem. They have uh, a labor shortage because the economy is so active, and that pushes up the prices of everything. South Korea, standard of living or, or gross domestic product per person is as high as it is in America, and so is Japan and probably Singapore. China's going to have the very same problem. They can't find middle-level management. They're going to have all the problems of capitalism, and, uh, and none of the solutions of capitalism pretty soon. So they're at risk. You, uh, you, you can't have a dynamic economy run by government. It's, all, it's almost an oxymoron. Yeah, I want to go to another topic in your book, which is what you talk about, the flat tax. 
And people say <laughs> progressive tax is the fairest because the higher income people should pay a higher percentage of their tax and their income. They can afford it. Lower income people don't have much to pay. They're barely surviving. They can't pay much in tax. What is wrong with the progressive tax? By definition, it's not uh, fair. It's not equal. The church historically had a tith or tithe. I don't know, of 10%. Tithe. They were tithe. Tithe. 10%. They didn't ask you, could you could you pay 10% or not because you're not your crops are failing? If you're making less, you pay less. It's anything like a parent or a, or a teacher in a classroom. You can't you teach all you have to treat all your parents, all your students, all your children equally. If you don't, they're gonna res, they're gonna resent it, and everyone's gonna know it in a very unnatural way. Fair is fair. Everybody pays the same. And in fact, the rich do pay about maybe 10% of their taxes anyway. And they're paying it. It's an enormous amount. So you think the rich are paying something. They are paying something. But, the, but as far as they're concerned, it's nothing. Because it's, <clears throat> it's, it's almost a regressive tax in that sense. 10% of the rich is nothing. Where has this worked elsewhere in the world? Have there been flat taxes that have actually worked and made society uh, more uh, prosperous? I don't know, but I would I would advocate close. Yeah, this this nation had no income tax until around 1913, zero, and then they were screaming when the government finally announced a one percent uh, um, income tax. It's well, just some like, would say that we're much for, fair today. At that time, you had the robber barons, and you had people with incredible wealth. And you had many, many, many poor people. They would say that today we have more of a middle class and that the income taxes help to redistribute income in a positive way. That's what the common economist would say. There's, as I say, you're not taxing the rich. They're not paying. You can't get it. And if you, get, if you start closing in, you're going to find companies like Apple. <clears throat> Apple is headquartered in Ireland. It might have a nice office building in Silicon Valley, but its headquarters is Ireland, and all its money is in Jersey Island, which is off, which is in the, which is in the English Channel. Now, there's been a recent uh, global uh, agreement to stop uh, kind of shopping for mm -hmm. lower tax jurisdictions, to stop that abuse of company shopping for the lowest possible tax rate, so that all there'll be a minimum 15% corporate tax. What do you think of that idea? You don't. If we had a 15% tax across the board for everybody, no write-offs, I could live with that. That's the end of the problem. And just cut spending in half. We're paying for medical, uh, Medicare. We're paying for Social Security. We're paying for education. We're paying for everything by borrowing. There's no, there's no money to pay for all of that. You, everything is wrong. You can't tax the rich. Then you shouldn't be paying for services by borrowing, Biden says his new infrastructure plan is not going to be from borrowing. That's not true. I think Obama said the affordable, new Affordable Care Act would not be from borrowing. It's completely by borrowing. The money isn't there. You also say the tax complexity has gone up dramatically. What is the impact on the economy of increasing the complexity of the tax code? Yeah. Regulation on the economy and taxation is is kind of a regulation, you are at risk of creating what's called the corporate state, where the, the big companies pretend to, they're like Br'er Rabbit. Oh, don't throw me in the briar patch. They're saying, oh, don't regulate us. The big companies want to be regulated because they can afford it. Their long-run average costs are much lower than a small company. The Sarbanes-Oxley or Dodd-Frank very expensive in terms of, of complying. requires thousands of lawyers and small companies can't afford that. And so they they buckle. And the big companies just mergers and acquisitions. They just buying up all these companies. Pretty soon you have six companies left running everything. That's called the corporate state. Uh, it started with Bismarck in Germany and, uh, and, and the Hitler in the 30s took that over. They let six companies, Siemens and companies like that, run the whole country, provide the workers with high salaries because there's no competition. They eliminated all the competition. That's, 
You have a corporate state. It's, it's uh, socialism from the right. So you think we're headed that direction is what you're saying? No, we're not, but that's the risk. And, yeah. and um, I like to say that in 476, Rome fell. We also know pictures of the Colosseum. It was all sledgehammered to death to, to, to smithereens by the, by the Huns and the Visigoths. The Roman army, the largest and, and most sophisticated in the world, stood there and watched. And why? They hadn't been paid in, in maybe years. All the money from tax revenue went to pay the interest on the debt. There was nothing left to pay for any services whatsoever. And the soldiers just, just stood there and watched Rome smash to smithereens. Yeah, very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. <laughs> this is Jordan Goodman. Now we're going to go from the Romans to our current day here. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is David Parker. His book is called Income and Wealth, and you can find out more at his website, davidparkeressays.com. We'll be back after this. Every year, American businesses waste over $400 billion because bad writing causes confusion, misses the mark, or takes too long to get to the point. On the other hand, better writing helps businesses win and impress customers, enhance brand perception, improve internal communications, and strengthen relationships with critical partners. Better, faster writing means better business, which is why your team needs WordTune for teams. WordTune goes way beyond simple spelling and grammar correction, since its artificial intelligence engine understands meaning and offers writing suggestions to help anyone make their writing more clear and compelling. It's the ultimate tool to elevate your entire team's writing instantly. <clears throat> I was wondering how a writing tool could possibly help, so I gave it a try. It's kind of like having a writing expert on call at any time to look at my drafts and suggest improvements. Now I don't have to waste time agonizing over the perfect sentence because WordTune offers the best alternatives, and I pick the one I like best, and it makes the changes in my text instantly. I was recently writing up a business proposal, and WordTune gave me just the right words to get across why the people I was writing to should approve the deal. You wand over the sentence or block of text you have to you have just written, and WordTune then suggests ways to improve it. And if I agree, I just click, and the changes are made automatically. Using WordTune makes me and my team confident that what we write will be optimized for maximum impact. When can you use WordTune with your team? WordTune improves performance on any project, everything from internal emails to press releases, sales outreach to customers, and much more. You can use WordTune anywhere you're writing online, including Google Docs, Slack, Outlook, Web, or WhatsApp. You can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash moneyanswers. Are you looking to elevate your entire team's writing? My <laughs> listeners can get a discount for their team today at wordtune.com slash money answers. WordTune improves writing efficiency up to four times. Better, faster writing means better business. Start writing better with WordTune by going to wordtune.com slash money answers. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is David Parker. He's an economist and author. Uh, his latest book is called Income and Wealth. Uh, you can find out more about him and his books at davidparkeressays.com. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you. I want to talk about global warming, which you talk about in your book. Now, the traditional view today would be this is an existential threat to humanity. We have to spend massive amounts of completing, change, change the economy to get rid of fossil fuels, do renewables. We have to do all kinds of things to prevent the world from basically melting down. You're seeing all these fires and floods because of this and the, the hurricanes we've just had. What is your view of what should be done about global warming and the impact on the economy of making that transition? We're never going to clean it up. So we can almost stop thinking in those terms. Uh, all new industries should be clean. The old, we're not going to clean it up. So don't even try, you're saying? Almost, don't even try. But, but everything new, we should go to nuclear as fast as we can. China says, you, America, and the, polluted the world like crazy, and now you're rich. Well, now it's our turn. We're going to pollute the world. We pollute much more than you do now because you're cleaning yourself up. We have no intention of cleaning yourself up until we're rich. And then we're going to go nuclear and that will be the end. But the damage will be done. And the damage is done now. We can, we can get down to zero. The damage is done. The fires, the hurricanes, all that stuff is going to continue. It's too late. We should have stopped a long time ago. We're not going to. The only solution, in my opinion, is to take the CO2 out of the atmosphere. That'll do it. And how do you do that? That can, that can be done. There's, the scientists are working on that all the time. Uh, well, one, you could just plant millions and millions of trees. That way, that's a simple solution. I mean, really millions of trees. And uh, they say that the jets who are flying all over the sky, they can put, they can have something in their fuel that if they discharge, that ends up um, cutting down carbon dioxide. I, I don't know what that is. And there's seaweed that, that does, you can cover the oceans with seaweed, which pulls out carbon dioxide. And there's ways of throwing it out into space. I haven't looked at the subject in a while. Yeah. I did write a book on the... On the on, uh, so you're saying, for example, all of the, the, the Paris Accord... And in November, there's going to be a, a new meeting in Glasgow, which is putting like taxes on carbon, uh, restrictions on fossil fuels, forcing uh, movement to electric cars, all those kind of things. You think none of that should be done? No, it, it can. Movement to electric cars is fine. Every movement in the right direction is fine, but the damage has been done. And uh, if we got it, got it to zero, it's not going to. Uh, not going to solve the problem. We, we can't just walk away because we got it down to zero. And you can't throw the whole world back into the Middle Ages because we're cutting, you know, there's a lot of money invested in gas and pipelines around the world. We go to electric and uh, it just happens naturally. Okay. If the, if the public wants clean air and they want a clean car, they'll buy a clean car. It's uh, it's not a, it's the government, there's no place for government in this. So what, what place around the world, even now or in human history, has done what you're talking about, kind of having minimal government, and what has been the outcome of your ideal version of the relationship between government and the market? Uh, the United States of America, in 1790, it had a population of 5 million people. A few years later, 200 years later, we have the third largest country in the world after China and India, larger than Indonesia, twice as large as Japan. A self-selected population of probably the best people in the world who got tired of their uh, corrupt and inefficient uh, governments and undemocratic governments. One by one, they've come here. The third largest country in the world and we had no, almost no government until the 20th century, until Franklin Roosevelt. Then we started having government. Someone says the vision of the founding fathers, that's no good anymore. We're progressing from that. 
We're going to progress from the pinnacle of the U.S. Constitution, not knowing that a step in any direction from the pinnacle is a step down. We're going to go back to aristocracy. The Europeans had it right. We want a government of well-educated, well-meaning people. And the United States was formed on having no government there. And we were successful. We attracted all the best people in the world, and they're still coming here. People are dying on boats to come here. All they ask is freedom and opportunity. They're not asking for a handout. And all we think about today is a handout. All along. So let's let's make you the king and czar, and you can run everything. How would you change things in the situation we're in today with the amount of debt we've got in this country and the, the situation with public education? How would you change things to make them better in your vision? Privatize everything. Uh, you know, we have, we've had politicians who stepped in saying that, but they were f- from the private sector. But they weren't politicians. They hadn't paid their dues as politicians. They were ineffective. Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's what he ran on. I'm going to privatize all California. End of the problems in California. He couldn't do it. He wasn't a politician, and Donald Trump was not, couldn't do it either. Neither one of them were qualified to, to be political leaders, and they couldn't do it. They just didn't have the skill. Um, but that's, you could, you but, could but do they're it. They're on the right track. They're on the right, both of them on the right track. If you were running it, you could do it. No, I'm not a, I'm not a politician. So it'd be nice if we could find a politician who has some real, um, yeah, business person who also has political skills. They're almost, uh, they don't go together because a, a business person is very independent, thinks for himself, is not a team player. <laughs> um, I speak it's a difficult situation. Yeah. Yes. So you, they're not attracted to working in government. And they think they can do it by the snap of the fingers. Oh, I know how to. I did it in business. I can do it in government. That was Donald Trump's thought. He couldn't. Yeah. Because you can't. You can't. You need a politician to do it. Very good. All right. We've learned a lot. Uh, my guest this hour has been David Parker. Uh, he's a very controversial and interesting economist and author. His latest book is called Income and Wealth. You can find out more about it at his website, David Parker Essays. I think we've learned a lot. Appreciate you being on the Money Answer Show, David. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.